0: Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. The JSA of yesterday, today,
1: and tomorrow unite. Joan is put in a home. Rivers of London delivers dragons. Hope returns to Source Point. And the second half of the first issue of Fish Flies. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, August 6, 2023. I'm Mark.
2: And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts and blogs. And you can subscribe with your favorite podcast catcher and maybe leave us a review somewhere.
1: You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Justice Society of America number 5 by Johns, Janin, and Belair. We begin at Wayne Manor where Huntress has gone to warn her eventual father, Batman, of his future. Her story spills out and she hugs him. I miss you so much, Dad. Bruce's first reaction is that she shouldn't have told him about his future. Her mission with the JSA doesn't depend on saving him and now she's put herself in danger. When she replies, You're my father. I'd risk the universe for you. He realizes he did the same thing in the Flashpoint Beyond event.
2: Cue the rest of the JSA arriving with Madame Xanadu holding out the snow globe he used then. It's the only thing stopping Huntress from ceasing to exist. She notes how powerful the snow globe is, and Degaton arrives in time to agree. Dead man is ready to hop into Degaton's body and end the fight before a legion of Degatons from throughout time appear in an Escher-esque splash page.
1: Cut to Stargirl, Jakeem Thunder, and Thunderbolt, searching Degaton's old stopping grounds in Germany for something Degaton touched to be used by the magic users in the final battle, who appears but Kid Degaton. I've been sent to kill you both
2: back to the battle, which is not going well. Dr. Fate plans to keep the heroes under his protection as Degaton can't see his future. Degaton responds, I am more endless than the Justice Society,
1: and I will replace you. Xanadu sees a vision, a league of Degaton sitting at the JSA table in the past. Members of the Bat family and the Outsiders strung up, while others are being subdued by Degaton's soldiers or just more Degatons, in the present. The LSH being slaughtered by Degaton, including Superboy, in the future. Xanadu throws the snow globe to fate, and he shows a different vision, a two-page spread of society blending the past, present, and near future.
2: The battle turns with JSAs of yesterday, today, tomorrow, and way beyond that, taking care of business. Stargirl is back with the artifact, a medal Hitler gave Degaton, and... And three Doctor Fates combine their powers to trap Degaton in the Flashpoint universe. The heroes of other eras all return to their own times, except for Huntress.
1: Later, Huntress sees Bruce and Xanadu talking through a window. There are others like Huntress who have timelines that no longer exist. Degaton, Eobard Thawne, Thomas Wayne, Power Girl. Huntress can't return to her future because it isn't there anymore. Bruce decides that Helena can't stay with him.
2: One week later, the Society is talking about what to do with Helena. They also need to deal with the fact that their own histories have been changed. Mr. Terrific is hesitant to talk to the Time Masters about this, but he's not sure who else could help. In walks Stargirl, Judy Garrick, and the future Our Man. Dad, if there are questions about time, I bet Our Man can shed some light on them.
1: So we're assuming the one week later is when the Stargirl The Lost Children miniseries happens in that one week period. Mm -hmm. By the way, three miniseries have been announced starring Jay Garrick, Alan Scott, and Wesley Dodds, which presumably will fill in the blanks about their revised history.
2: Oh, I miss Wesley Dodds. I really liked Sandman Mystery Theater. (laughs) Love Everlasting, number 10, from Image, by King, Ashura Hollingsworth, and Cowles. Joan is holding her granddaughter, also named Joan, in her arms, We see a rapid series of events. Her son, Timmy, joined the Navy. Being stuck in 1963 means he makes it through his tour without going to Vietnam. He returns and buys a house with a friend from the Navy. It's inferred they're a gay, closeted couple. David, the older son, never makes it to pro basketball, but does become a math and gym teacher. Trish, Dave's wife, stops by to see Joan a few times a week. Otherwise, she's alone, living with the ghosts of her family.
1: Little Joan goes from 6 to 16 to her own wedding to her own child, also named Joan, again, all happening in 1963. Our Joan slips in the shower, and after convalescing, her sons convince her to move into a home. We get a lot of Joan's thoughts about waiting for death in such a place, and then she meets Ralph, a fellow resident and former attorney. They strike up a friendship, which turns into courting although Joan at first insists that she's still married and till death do you part is not just a one-way street.
2: While eating ice cream, Ralph blurts out, I love you, before trying to take it back. Joan says she loves him too, and they kiss. Now, for the first time now, I was in love.
1: We then cut to 1947 and The Art of Love. Did we just start over? Joan is an artist model for Paul, who's doing a full-size sculpture of her. He reminds her to stay still, but he realizes he's fallen in love with her and announces as such. They kiss, and then Joan knees him in the groin. She proceeds to take his hammer and bludgeon him to death. I had children. Their names were David and Timmy. I had grandchildren.
2: Blood-soaked, Joan sits down for a smoke. The cowboy arrives. So, what are we waiting for here? I got an assignment. Before I do it, your mother wants to know. Did you learn anything? I learned I'm going to kill you, then I'm going to kill her. Well, get on with it. I'm really looking forward to seeing you the next time around. To be continued in Volume 2, starting in November.
1: Rivers of London, Here Be Dragons, number one from Titan Comics by Swallow, Cartmel, and Beroy. Another miniseries that spun out of the genre novel series. Basically, it's modern London with magic, where a special police detachment deals with supernatural issues.
2: It it is really interesting because there's like the Falcon Group, which is just basically Peter and his boss, Nightingale, who pursue magic across London. It's very good. I highly recommend the series, Rivers of London.
1: And if you're keeping track, this is the 11th graphic novel with nine text novels available amongst our weapons was just published.
2: We begin with our hero, Police Constable Peter Grant, hanging in an upside-down police helicopter. Ten hours earlier, Peter is reporting for duty on a case involving the National Police Air Service. On the copter's crew, Danny, a believer in aliens who's not shy in saying so, Maggie, the pilot and former UK Special Forces pilot, and Sanjay, the tactical flight officer and skeptic. Danny shows Peter to their copter. The canopy is all torn up, standard operating procedure for magical police detectives, initial vestigia assessment, a.k.a. feel around for any magic. Peter gets an earful, which stuns him to the point of his calling his boss, who agrees that this is serious.
1: Cut to a pub where a fae is hanging out in public to the point that a young boy recognizes her. She turns demonic to scare him away. Two others meet her with something in a satchel. They apparently nicked it, and it's important enough that it will cause a fuss. They assume the humans will do the dirty work for them, maybe even take the fall.
2: Back to Peter, who interviews the copter crew about the accident. Danny thinks it was aliens, of course. Maggie knows it was something, but she's not sure what. Sanjay calls it a flock of geese. Peter decides to go with up with them that night via a replacement copter.
1: Cut to a busker, entertaining a small London crowd, only for some beast to attack them before flying off. Peter gets the call and tells the cop on site, D.S. Sadra Gulid, to write it up. They take off, and London is beautiful from the air. Things are quiet. They handle a few minor cases assisting the ground-based police. Until it isn't quiet. A creature attacks their copter, and the onboard camera gets a shot of a dragon. Said dragon tears them up, and the copter is in free fall. Peter remembers an old spell using feather fall to slow them down enough for overhead wires to stop them. Hence, the upside-down copter from page one.
2: One thing I really like about this whole Peter Grant series is how much it is like a police procedural on, like, Britbox or something, you know, it's very much follows the same British police procedures, just adding magic. I I, I really like that. Of course, you know, I'm such a fan of Law and Order that 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 is what's going to attract me. (laughs) (laughs) Hope, volume two, number one from Source Point by Manning, Scott and Lentz. The first volume of this series came out three years ago. I assume Dirk Manning, a local writer we've met a few times, got waylaid by his usual horror work and maybe the pandemic. The concept, a world where Ultras, superheroes, recently appeared and the public are not on board. They are forced to register with the government, a.k.a. Marvel Civil War. Julie Lavelle, a mother and wife, becomes Ultra but decides to keep things on the down low. A horrific traffic accident puts her husband in a coma, and Julie is forced to go public to get custody of her daughter. In the last issue, she loses custody, partly due to her dangerous life.
1: Now... Mitch Lavelle awakens from the coma only to learn that his wife is an ultra via the TV in his room. Cut to 15 years ago in their meeting in a bar. 3 years later, marriage. 2 years later, a baby.
2: 5 years ago, Anna, the daughter, is being pushed on the swings when a supervillain lands with plans to take hostages. Mitch steps up to defend his family, but a heroine drops in before he can do anything. Mitch is mortified. Julie surreptitiously rips the chains off the swing to tie up the unconscious baddie and asks the heroine to keep this between them. She agrees, for now, but we're going to talk more soon. And you better hope you can convince me. Hope. Hmm.
1: When Anna mentions the monster, Julie explains that both of them were ultras. No, Julie, Anna had it right the first time. They were both monsters. If there's one thing we've learned today is that we'd be better off if they all disappeared as quickly as they appeared forever. And that is why Julie never told Mitch about her Ultraness.
2: Three years ago, Mitch's top boss requests a meeting. Is he in trouble? No. The boss lauds his work, then asks if he would like to change the world. Mitch is just an IT guy. How can he do that? What's the world if not one giant computer program, Mitchell? One that's been infected with a virus, a.k.a. the Ultras. Mitch remembers his shame in not being able to defend his family and wants to know more.
1: Back in the hospital room, the nurse asks if they should contact his wife. Instead, he wants to see his daughter. Now, back on Free Comic Book Day, we picked up the first issue of Jeff Lemire's Fish Flies and talked about it on the show. I recently picked up the first official non-free issue, but put it aside, assuming it was just the same story, maybe with some early sketches. In fact, there's a lot more story to go over. Fishflies is Lemire's first work under a new Substack subscription where you can see work in progress and interact with the author. Once the work was completed, it went to image for a paper copy, one that will consist of 64 pages each of a 350-page story.
2: Here's a quick summary of the first part of the issue from the free comic book day copy. Set in a small island town where annoying insects return each year and cover everything then quickly die. Kids at a convenience store dare one of them to walk barefoot through the parking lot covered with bugs to buy something which he does only to find a dead man on the ground and another with a gun. Cut to a guy in a field with a gunshot wound who's quickly covered in bugs runs into a barn and collapses... Cut to a girl playing in the rain who sees a trail of dead bugs leading to the man.
1: Okay, so here's the rest of the issue. The girl, Franny, pokes the man with a stick, then runs for the school bus. She's got a sinus condition and is constantly sniffling. The other kids tease her. The bus passes by the Quickie Mart, surrounded by police cars.
2: After school, with the day cut short after the events at the Quickie Mart, Franny returns to the man in the barn, now awake and covered with bug bites. She plans to bring him medicine after dinner if she can sneak out. But the man can't stay there. The police are looking for him, plus her dad will be real mad if he finds him there. She takes him to an old silo where she hides out from time to time. The man, who is the one the kid saw at the store, asks if the kid is okay. Franny doesn't know. Franny says her mom always said, if you pray, everything will be okay. The man demurs. We learn the mom is gone, maybe dead.
1: Franny goes home and her dad, who appears to be an abusive drunk, asks where she was, just playing outside. He asks her to stay inside after what happened at the store because a kid got shot. She eats crackers for dinner in her bed.
2: The man has dreams of a gun and the boy, and then has some sort of attack. He's transforming. Franny sneaks out with some aspirin, only to find that the man is now a giant fish fly. Hi!
0: Announcer bot. how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, call us at 614 321 that's 614 321 sfp Back to you, Mark.
1: Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.